Uh, so I have one announcement as we start today, and that is at 1230 this afternoon, if you are so inclined, uh, you can come back and we are going to be having the head doctor in the emergency room come and answer our questions that we have about COVID and some of the stuff that's going on in our community. And I have gotten a few questions from a few people, and I just want to say uh, she is doing this out of the goodness of her heart. She is not your enemy. She is not going to show up with a purse full of vaccinations to stab you in the arm with them. Uh, she is just... She is coming to be really nice and just answer questions that we may have. So let's treat her with some dignity and respect. And part of that is I'm going to ask you guys to wear masks in the room for when she is here, because in the ER, they actually require people to wear masks there. And that's part of what they do in there. So I'm going to ask you to do that. If you come at 1230, if you walk on, watch online, you wear them in your house if you want. I don't care. Uh, but but if you do have questions, you can come in and you can, uh, give your questions to Sarah. She'll write them down. She'll hand them to me. I do have some questions, but I really want to take those from people in the room first. So if you come in and you have your questions, we're going to ask those of her. Be kind. Uh, be gracious. Show the gospel. And just remember that in this, we are all on the same team. We all want COVID to end. Okay. All right. I think that's what I got. Hey, welcome to Element, if you're new. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables. They look like this. And on the inside of the sermon notes for this series, on the left side, you're going to get a recap of what we talk about. Underneath that, you're going to get a question to go along five days of the week and then something to pray about from that question five days of the week. On this side, you're going to get some questions to ask your friends, your family, your gospel community. On the back, you get the psalm we're going through, and then you'll get the verses that we are all going through on the bottom of that. If you have a smart device, you can download an app called Uversion. You click on more and then events in Uversion. We come up by GPS in your smart device and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? This is Psalm 124 verses 2 and 3. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would teach us to be a people who live out our lives with our focus on you, and that as we live out our lives in service, that people would see the witness that we have coming from our lives because we are first worshiping and serving you by serving them. And it would just be a natural part of who we are, that you would be glorified, and we would live in the joy that you give. Amen. Have a seat. Right, so we are doing a series to round out the rest of the year. It is called the Songs or the Psalms of Ascent. These are 15 psalms, Psalm 120 through 134, that cover these different songs that people would sing and they would meditate on them as they went up to worship God in the temple uh, for their what we would call their holy days, or what we would say are holidays. And when I say they meditated, I don't mean like Eastern meditation where it's like home and you empty your mind of everything. Christian meditation is where we think about God's words. We recite psalms like this. We pray. We listen to what God is saying. So we steep in God's spirit like tea and we become more close to him and better understand what he's saying to us as we think about him. So for us in this series, we are taking a trip to our holy days, our holiday of Christmas. And so we want to meditate and think about these psalms as we walk our way towards that. And I think as we travel there, I think in singing these songs and understanding these things, I think we can grow deeper into who God is calling us to be with his unchanging truths as we understand more of what he's trying to say. Now, as I told you before, the impetus for these messages came out of a book I read 20 plus years ago by a guy named Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That is all about discipleship. 
discipleship, each step of our lives walking with him step by step. And so we've gone through various things in these weeks as we have looked at one psalm each week. So the first one we talked about was repentance. We come to a place of discipleship. Discipleship is going to start in repentance. We return to who God calls us to be. We listen to his truth over the lies that we tell ourselves and the lies that our culture tells. The second step in that goes to trust. We trust what God has said. That's why we repent. So we trust where he leads us. And that then moves us into worship because how could it not we move into the place where we worship god and who he is we acknowledge the worth of him and as we worship him we will naturally begin to serve those around us because we understand that our god first served us in saving us and as we serve the people around us we'll now naturally go to the next step in that journey which is witness will naturally begin to witness to those around us because they're going to say why are you serving me why are you kind why are you not crazy like everybody else well you're crazy but you know you, you're crazy in a different way and we say because we love and follow jesus that's why our witness comes out of that now if you have been in church for any length of time you hear this word witness and you're probably like oh no and you get break out on a cold sweat or you're getting fevers and you think we're going to send you out to your neighbors to knock on the door and be like have you heard about the gospel of jesus christ or you're going to make go stand in front of the mall with tracts and, and hand them out. Does anybody go to the mall anymore? You're going to go stand where somebody goes and, and hand out tracts as, the, as they walk in the door. Or like we're going to make you guys have these conversations at work where someone's like, oh, man, the Dodgers won last week. You'd be like, oh, you know who else won? Jesus on the cross. Where you're, you're always trying to pigeonhole it into some conversation. I did that to a friend of mine this week on Facebook. He talked about the Dodgers. And I go, oh, you know who else won the victory? dot 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 wait for it jesus right and i go i'm just seeing how that works and it didn't work well that's not what we're asking you to do that's not what we do when we talk about witnessing witnessing should be just normal and natural and it comes out of our lives because we are worshiping god first we're serving others and out of that comes our witness in the things that we say and the things that we do we will naturally speak of how great this salvation is. And so I call this message actually witness and apology. And I'll kind of explain what that means as we go through this. Peterson talks about this in the book, and I really resonate with this. Because Psalm 124 starts with, God is on our side. And it ends with, our help is in the name of the Lord. Now, a lot of people, because of life circumstances, they hear words like that and they say, well, maybe God's on your side, but he's certainly not on my side. Have you seen the things that have happened to me? And it could be your own decisions or decisions people have made about you. But a lot of times when people say the Lord is our help, they think that's really not for me. That's for super Christians or people who are really spiritual. That's who that's for. And I got to tell you that too often we think that God has let us down when God is actually moving and training us and building us into something. We can all point to things in our lives that didn't work out the way that we wanted them to. I can open my news app on my phone right now and show you 30 different stories of horrible things going on around the world. And a lot of times people look at that and they focus on the negative and they get very pessimistic and they say, well, how can God be on anybody's side when these things happen? Guys, I got to tell you, we must be a people who speak about the hope and the life and the redemption that is found in Jesus Christ. Do you know that in Facebook right now, if you haven't seen this, uh, Wall Street Journal came out with these articles in the last couple of weeks where it's called the Facebook files. And this whistleblower comes out. Facebook will feed you 80% more negative stories and ads when you look at it because they want to keep you engaged. When you're angry, you stay engaged. <gasps> I can't believe this. Yes, I'll click on that. Oh, no. And then you send it to all your friends and the negativity just spirals out of control. And you might say, well, I don't use Facebook because I'm spiritual. I use Instagram. Guess who owns Instagram? 
Facebook. Well, I don't use Instagram. I use WhatsApp. Guess who owns WhatsApp? Facebook. You can't get away, and they keep feeding you this. And sometimes we just get so pessimistic and so negative, and we see everybody in the world as our enemy instead of people who need to know the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. We must be a people who speak about the hope that we know, and that is part of our witness. Sometimes you see people, and they get on TV or podcasts, that, and they feel love Jesus, and someone will inevitably say, how can you believe in a God when blank just happened? And it's, I think that a lot of people who love Jesus feel like they're put in a position where you're always trying to defend God. Like, you don't know what's going on, but i got to defend him for something. Many people expect pastors or those who say that they love Jesus to be able to explain the inner workings of God's mind to anybody who is angry out there or that we don't agree with something God did. It's as if our entire culture sits back like this and going, yeah, prove God to me. Prove that, that he's nice and good and, and loving. And we feel like we have to do this, like you're the front line of God's customer service. And it's like, hello, oh, you got a problem? Yeah, well... This is what the management meant by that. And if I can make this just a little bit better, uh, and and you feel like you're stuck in the middle of that, like you have all these aggrieved patrons, and you've got to talk about why the management wasn't as rude as they thought he was. I'm trying to put this in really mundane ways so we understand what's happening, but we are supposed to be a people who speak of God's goodness, of God's grace, but that comes first out of what he has done in our own lives. We speak about the grace that we have received. We speak about what he has done. And when we talk about the gospel, this is what we do. We talk about what we know to be true. God never asked us to defend him against things he never tries to defend himself against. God calls us to be his witnesses in the world to his goodness. You are not supposed to be like the press secretary to the president who's trying to explain, oh, yeah, God didn't really mean what he said to Job or what he said in the Old Testament or what the Apostle Paul said or something like that. This is what Peterson says in the book. The proper work of the Christian is witness, not apology. And let me explain what that means because there is a whole course of study in Christianity called apologetics, which is excellent and amazing. But when it talks here about apology, that is us feeling like we have to apologize for something that God did. There's a difference between apology and apologizing. We're never called to apologize on behalf of God to other people for something that we may not understand. So I want to help you to understand the difference and what that looks like. In the New Testament, 1 Peter 3.15 tells us we were all being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. The word for defense there, it is the word apology. It's where we get our modern word apology from. And again, today, apology in our mind thinks we're sorry for something. Somebody famous said something 10, 15 years ago when it got put out on Twitter and now they're apologizing, they're hanging their heads and, and running in shame. That's not what scriptural apology is. Scriptural apology is being able to give a witness to what God has done in our life. Why do you have hope? Well, I have hope because God did this. This is what God has actually done in my life. It's more like if you would think of a courtroom, of a plaintiff and a defendant. Now, I always tell you this. My wife loves Judge Judy. Someone was asking the other day, oh, do you watch this? And I go, no, my wife watches Judge Judy. Oh, we're talking about podcasts. I'm like, my wife doesn't listen to podcasts. She watches Judge Judy. I don't know why I said that. It makes no sense how it correlation. But anyway... In Judge Judy, 
you have plaintiffs and you have defendants. And so they get to make their case and the plaintiffs will step up and they will say, they killed my dog and I want $5,000. And then they would look at the defendant who is the apologist and they would give a witness to their testimony. And they would say, well, uh, her dog was running around the neighborhood off leash. It kept eating kids and throwing them back up. And we told her over and over to get your dog under control and she wouldn't do it. And then it came from my kid and my kid was halfway down its throat. I killed the dog. And Judge Judy would say, that sounds like a reasonable reason to kill a dog. And I'm sorry if killing a dog is a bad example. I, I don't know why I picked that either. <laughs> I'm tired. It's a bad day. All right, whatever. <laughs> but then Judge Judy would say, oh, and you get all of your medical bills paid for. That is what we do. We biblically witness to what God has done in our lives. That is what witness and apology is actually supposed to be. Again, apology is not trying to defend God or apologize for him. It is witnessing about the goodness of God. And in that, there are some people who are also very good at speaking about the existence of God, the proof of the resurrection of Jesus, the reliability of the scriptures, even what some people call the problems of a biblical position, like why does God allow suffering? And we at Element have even done a class on apologetics. It's online. It's free. You get what you pay for. Uh, but in, even in that, we have never done a class on apologizing for God. Does that make sense? Okay, great, great. So Psalm 124 is an excellent model of what witnessing looks like. It's simple, and it's a true witness of what God has done in people's lives. It's not trying to justify God. It's just saying, this is what he has done. A testimony to God's help in the form of a song. This is one of the reasons when we do baptisms, we have people write their stories. Because we want people to be able to say, here's my story. This is what God has done. And a lot of people have never taken the time to even think that out. And so what we do is we have you write those things down so you can be like, yeah, here's my story. People can read your story, your witness, your testimony. True, true apologetics, it's not about trying to win arguments. It's about winning people. It's for us who want to rest easier knowing this is the witness of other people who've experienced what God has done in their lives. And we get to rest easy. We can trust the claims of the scriptures. When we love Jesus and we want to talk about him in normal and natural ways, that is witness. And again, that's why Psalm 124 is amazing. It is a song. It's confident and excitement. And this guy is calling everybody else to join in all together now. It's like, God's good all together now. They're like, weirdo, okay, God's good. You know, and they just kind of go along with it. It's, it's a great psalm that do that. And it moves past the questions of why is this journey hard? Why am I walking all the way up here to get to Jerusalem? All these whys that we have, and instead moves to a place that says, this is what God has done, and I'm going to do this in joy. How do people sing with confidence in who God is when things are hard? Well, we witness to what God has done. We repeat, we remember in our lives what he has done. And when we do that, all those complaints begin to subside because we're speaking about who he is. Now, open your Bibles to Psalm 124. It's on page 333 if you have an element Bible. I think real apologetics can accomplish great things when we first witness about what God has done and then move into everything else. Because in doing so, we can even expose some of the dishonest questions that people ask. And this is one of the reasons why 1 Peter 3.15 tells us what it says, why it's the type of apology. The hope that I have is because of what God has done. The apostles do this in the book of Acts. In Jude, Jude verse 3, he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to right appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints our hope at element and how we talk about the scriptures and what jesus has done and the joy that that brings is a 
deep witness that helps you to have a faith that is deeply centered in what Jesus has done in the gospel, the historical events of what he has said and what he has done, and that everything only makes sense when seen and understood in the terms of that gospel. And I think when we begin to do that, people around us will start to understand what witness truly looks like as well. Uh, Douglas Wilson, who's a controversial figure today, if you know who he is, now he actually said this, win the man, not the argument, which I think is funny because many times Douglas Wilson likes to win the argument if you've ever heard or seen him. But, you know, we, we all do this. We all end up sometimes on the backside not doing exactly what we're saying. The Apostle Paul says, win everyone to Christ. When Jesus calls his disciples in Mark 1.17 and says, you are going to be fishers of men, he doesn't say, I want you to go out and, and find all the places that people are wrong and the bad theology and the dumb arguments and the way that people have diminished the sovereignty of God. I want you to go out and see where they're broken and see where they're lost and talk about what I'm doing and bring them back. Speak about what I'm I am doing in the world. And I think in the midst of that, you might have disagreements. Disagreements can be healthy if they are done correctly with respect for others. We have to understand that sometimes speaking of disagreements can help in public evangelism. And again, where we not, we don't see people as enemies, we see them as those that God sends us to fish for. Wilson says this, argument plays a role, but argumentation is a sharp tool. And a tool is something that a craftsman should, if he wants to keep all his fingers, understand fully in order to wield properly. And again, sometimes we all don't wield it that properly. Neither does Wilson at times. But, but he does in a lot of places do it well as, as well. Okay, so this is Psalm 124, page 333, and this is simply the witness of how awesome God is. So again, you know, this is your fifth week in the journey walking through. The, it's been hard. You've had some trials going up the hills and the mountains to worship God. And then this is what the psalm says. I'm going to read this out of Peterson's translation. If God hadn't been for us, all together now Israel sing out. It's like he's singing alone. Woo. If God hadn't been for us, when everyone went against us, we would have been swallowed alive by their violent anger, swept away by the flood of rage, drowned in the torrent. We would have lost our lives in the wild, raging water. Oh, blessed be God. He didn't go off and leave us. He didn't abandon us defenseless, helpless as a rabbit in a pack of snarling dogs. We've flown free from their fangs, free from their traps, free as a bird. Their grip is broken. We're free as a bird in flight. God's strong name is our help. The same God who made heaven heaven and earth. And this is why when we speak about witnessing, we speak about what God has first done in our own lives. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 26, Paul says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. See, so Paul is not saying you can't argue. He tells Timothy he's supposed to be correcting his opponents and able to teach. But there's more involved. There's our demeanor. There is how we go about this. If you love apologetics, you should not be quarrelsome. You must be kind. And when you disagree, you disagree in that kindness. The point is when we witness with our lives, we do that with our words and our demeanor so that someone may be overwhelmed by the grace that we are showing them as a reflection that we worship God first and how we are serving them and how we are being a witness to them, that they may come to the place of repentance because that's the entire point. And when the Bible speaks about this defense, about being a witness, it's not looking around the world and trying to take people out like you're in a Western going, boop, 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 pew, 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 and take people. That's not what we do. We want to go and find people and fish for men like Jesus calls us to. The point of apology 
is to win people we are talking to and spectators to Jesus. Uh, Wilson said this, it must be frankly stated that a lot of people who are deeply interested in apologetics need to think a lot less about winning and a lot more about being winsome. And it's kind of interesting because Wilson is a guy who spent a few months with Christopher Hitchens. Christopher Hitchens died a few years ago. He was like the, probably the premier best-known atheist in the entire world. And they went around for a few months talking about the existence of God, and they would debate one another. And by the end of it, Hitchens had this respect and this love for Wilson because how Wilson treated him in the midst of those debates. We witness with the truth. Uh, the truth at times can be hard and unyielding, and the truth can make a great club. So you've got to be careful how you yield that club. And this is why the Psalm of Ascent is amazing, because it's a beautiful call to return to see God as he truly is. That is the witness. It's a song, again, where one person just announces this, and they're singing it, and they look around, and everybody else is like, come on, people. I've seen Saban do this sometimes in, in Sunday morning when he's singing along, and everyone's sitting down, he's all, come on, everybody, let's go. And you guys are like, all right, and you get him, you start singing. But that's the thing. It's, I'm excited about what God has done, and I want everybody to join with you. Come on, all together now. God's help is never meant to be a private experience. It's always meant to work its way out to a corporate reality. And we are not the exception. We are all called to do that. We are not meant to be isolated strangers. We are a body of Christ speaking about the goodness of God. So the psalm writer speaks of two illustrations in this about God's coming rescue as our help. And both these illustrations would make sense to the culture in which this was written. They kind of go together. In the ancient world, you'd have like these, these evils that would come out of the water. This is why the wild and raging waters, he saved us from those. Well, in the wild raging waters, you would have sea monsters. They would call these leviathans. And they would come out and get you like a, like a rabbit in, the, in a pack of dogs. You just couldn't get away. And dragons and sea monsters are projections of their fears and really our fears. I mean, dragons until recently to like how you train your dragon or Game of Thrones, dragons were seen as just this total evil. If a, if a villager goes out in the woods and he ran into a dragon, well, he was going to die. They didn't get on the dragon and fly around like Pete's dragon or like Falcor. Oh my goodness, never ending story. Some of you guys got that. That's great. Deep cut, deep cut. If they went out and they found one, the dragon would have simply ate them. And so this dragon was this big snake came out of the water. What is it? Anything in the water was coming to destroy you like fangs in these dogs and you, and you can't get away. And so this is what he speaks into and what they understand where all of their fears come from. You gotta see how the Psalms speak about this. Psalm 77, verse 16. When the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The water convulses around God. God's not afraid around the waters. The water's like, oh my goodness, it's God. What are we going to do here? And you see this over and over in the scripture that God pulls his people out of the things that were so scary to them. When God creates, he pulls the water off the land so mankind has a place to live. God parts the Jordan River when his people are going into the promised land so they walk across on dry land. In the book of Exodus, God parts the Red Sea so as people walk across on dry land is that God treads the deep. God silences the waters. In the book of Job, God says, Job, God says to Job, who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? God's like, that's me. I did that. When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come and no farther. Here shall your proud ways be stayed. God's the one who did that. All the things that you were afraid of, God's like, you're going to stop right there. Psalm 65, verses 6 and 7, God is the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the sea, the roaring of the waves. 
These are all things that spoke into that culture of the fears that they had. Ancient cultures believed that the earth was surrounded by water. God told his people that's not actually the case. Uh, Job 26, verse 7, he stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. But all these cultures still had an influence upon Israel. And because they saw in these waters these spiritual forces that would come and get their teeth in you, that would tear you to shreds, that you couldn't get away because water rebelled and it raged, the people of Israel fell into those same traps. Traps. And so God wants to show them, this is not what you need to be afraid of. What do you need to do? You need to come home to me, trust me, worship me, serve one another, because I first served you, and this will go into the world as your witness. This is what he's leading his people towards. And this is why the psalm writer is speaking many times about God saves his people in terms of water and the creatures therein, from packs of wild dogs. It is their witness, their apology, their, their testimony. It's not trying to tear other people's arguments apart. It's talking about God's saving grace. And the scriptures, God speaks and shows his creation. It is not bound by waters. He is the one who holds all things in his hands. He controls all things and all people. And if there is a dragon or a leviathan or a pack of dogs, they're his pet. They do not attack him. And you can go to the ocean and you can scream at the waters and say, ocean, stop, and your feet will get wet. And if God goes and says, ocean, stop, it will get out of his way or he'll walk across the top of it because that's who God is and what he does. And that's the witness to those people. Now, how does that go into the New Testament? Does, does the same thing, well, the people had the same fears then as well. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. This story also takes place in the book of Mark. But in Matthew chapter 14, you see this same thing. And Jesus essentially fulfills all of these things in these Psalms that keep talking about how God treads on the deep. And you get to see the witness of what this looks like. So Jesus here is going to be shown to deliberately walk upon the water. He's going to walk right into their superstition and show himself to be the God who is always in control of all things and God is faithful. Matthew 14 verse 25 says, In the fourth watch of the night, he, that's Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Why, why do they cry out in fear? Because they're on the sea and it's scary. There's scary monsters under the water. They can come and get us. And here comes this creature walking on it. The dread pirate Roberts is here for your soul. And like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And a few commentators say this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He is stepping directly into the place of their greatest fears. And he is saying, this is who I am. You can trust me. And they are going to become witnesses to this event. So Jesus walks on the water. It's beneath him, just like it's beneath God. Job chapter 9, verse 8, it is God alone who stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 15 you trample the sea with your horses the surging of mighty waters and that is literal and spiritual waters in their mindset Jesus emulates God himself by walking on the waters by treading on the deep he is witnessing to who he is and the disciples are going to get to witness about that because we get to read about it verse 27 Jesus spoke to them saying take heart it is I you don't need to be afraid this is who I am I tread on the deep and then so what happens? So Peter says, oh, hey, if it's you, tell me to walk to you on the water, which is kind of funny because if it was a crazy sea ghost, wouldn't he be like, oh, yeah, come on, bloop, ha, <laughs> ha, right? But it really was Jesus. So he's like, come out and step on the water. Peter gets over the, I don't know how high the gun wells were, but anyway, he steps over it, he starts walking. And when he is, his eyes are focused on Jesus, when his fears are the thing he is focused on, he walks. And as soon as his fears overtake him, he sinks. When his focus goes from Christ to his fears, 
He goes down. But what happens? Jesus steps forward, grabs a hold of him, and he pulls him out of the waters. Uh, verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. Psalm 18, verse 16, he sent, that's the word for reached, from on high. He took me, he drew me out of many, that's the word for deep, waters. He is fulfilling these psalms. Jesus calms the storm. It's not a coincidence. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Jesus has authority over the storms. Psalm 124, swept away by the flood of rage, drowned in the torrent, we would have lost our lives in the wild raging water. Oh, blessed be God, he didn't go off and leave us. Mark 4:39. there's another story where there's a storm and Jesus is sleeping in a boat and the disciples are like, oh my goodness, don't you care? We're going to perish. And they wake Jesus up. Mark 4:39. and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. The word rebuke there is the same word that Jesus will use when he casts demons out of people. He looks at the wind and all the scary things that we're so afraid of and he's like, shut it, quiet, you guys okay? He's like, no, right? and, they, and they freak out. Listen to this, Psalm 107 verses 28 to 30. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from the distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Who did all this? Jesus, right here. You see him being victorious over all things. And what do, the, what do the disciples do? They fall down and they worship him. Verse 33, and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. They confess Jesus to be God almighty. And what does Jesus do? He accepts the worship. And out of that worship, what do we get? We get these people who go out and they serve the world around them and they become these witnesses to what Jesus did. And it's amazing here because right here they knew who Jesus was. Later, like we all do, they, they have doubts and they give in to their fears, but here they knew who Jesus was, God in the flesh who preserved the world by keeping the evil forces at bay. And this is the most important revelation in the Bible and all of human history, that Jesus is the incarnate God and the perfect revelation of God. And this is why we worship him, which goes into how we serve one another, which becomes our witness. If God hadn't been for us, all together now, element, sing out. If God hadn't been for us, when everyone went against us, we would have been swallowed up alive by their violent anger, swept away by the flood of rage, drowned in the torrent, would have lost our lives in the wild raging water. Oh, blessed be God, he didn't go off and leave us. And that is true of the whole history of the Church of Jesus Christ. It is true today in the midst of COVID. It is true today in the midst of all the crazy political debate that goes on in the world around us. That he is the one who preserves us and saves us. And the beauty of the gospel in this step of the journey of discipleship is the reminder that God just didn't leave them. He also doesn't leave us. He comes for us in the person of Jesus. Jesus promises never to leave us or forsake us, and that's what we witness to. This is how it all really comes together. We start to act in our lives on what we truly believe. If we've truly repented, and we truly now begin to trust God and worship Him and serve one another, it must come out in our lives, in our witness, with our words and how we act if we believe Jesus was who He said He was. Do we believe Jesus is enough to live our lives and act on that witness in everything that we do? And I will tell you, when you decide to act on it, to live out in your life in true witness of who Jesus is, you will feel the waters rise. You will feel think, teeming with creatures and people going after you for speaking the truth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And at those times, in those times, we must still trust and walk forward and know that Jesus has us and we honor him with all of our lives. We must understand that he has already redeemed us and the waters can't touch us. One of the worst things I think we can do today 
is to convince ourselves that if we have the right beliefs, it doesn't matter how we live. And witness really comes out in how we are living our lives. 80% of Americans today say they believe in Jesus. For 75% of that 80%, it makes no difference in how they live their life. Their lives are indistinguishable from everybody else around them who has no faith at all. Biblical faith is willing to act on what we know to be true. Well, we trust God in the midst of the wild, raging waters that is our culture today where everyone just wants to tear each other apart. Will we be a people who refuse to see everyone around us as enemies and see people who are lost as the lost and as compassion on them like God has compassion on them, that we would serve them because God first served us? Would we be a witness to them? Will we speak about what God has done in our lives? I will tell you, when you start to live that way, you're not going to have all the answers to every question that someone's going to ask. There are people who love to hyper-obsess about things that you care nothing about. And that's okay. okay? You don't have to hyper-obsess about the things that they do. Or our witness is more than just having right answers. Our witness, our witness is about the right focus and living our lives as a reflection of what God has done. And our focus is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is what we shout. And that is what we sing. And that is what we do together. It is the great joy that we have received. Again, it's not trying to pigeonhole Jesus into every conversation at work at lunch because that's just awkward and weird and you don't need to do it. It's speaking about the goodness of God. This is what he has done in my life. This is why when all this stuff is going on, I don't have to freak out. I don't have to be worried. I don't have to treat people that I don't know what they actually believe yet as my enemies. I can treat them as those who God calls me to serve because he first served me. Again, it starts in that repentance. Return to God. We trust him for what he has said. He is sovereign over all things that goes into our worship so we worship him and as we worship we will naturally serve him by serving one another which will result in our witness our witness comes out of first understanding the gospel and what god has done to rescue us i'm going to invite the band to come up as i do i'm going to invite you guys also to communion and communion what we're going to do today when you break that cracker like christ's body is broken for us or you drink the grape juice i want you to take that and remember the great grace that God has given us in rescuing and saving us. When you, when you eat that cracker, drink that grape juice, that God came for us because we could not rescue ourselves. And taking communion today is part of our witness. It's part of being reminded of what God has done so that when we would walk out of these walls, we'd be like, yes, God has saved me. No matter what happens in this world, not that we can't fight for truth and, and grace in, in the world around us, but no matter what happens in our culture, God is still sovereign and God is still doing a work and we will witness to what he has done in our own lives first. And then that will go out into the rest of the world. We start with what he has done just like the psalm. And you may be around some people, it would be really funny one time if you're like, you know what God has done in my life? He's done great things. Sing it with me. He's done great things. They'll be like, hey, you're weird. But you'd be like, man, join with me. God has done such great things in me. I, had, I have no idea why he rescued and saved me, but he did. And I want to be someone who worships him back because of what he's done. And I will witness to the fact of the change in my life that he makes day to day to day. We speak about the hope that we know the grace that we have received, the God who has rescued us.
So take communion. If you need prayer, if you're in a place today where you're like, you may think God's on your side. He's obviously not on my side because look what happens in my life. And you want someone to pray with you, grab Sarah at the Welcome Center. She'll connect you with somebody. We'd love to pray with you about that this morning to introduce you to who Jesus is so you can walk around with this great witness of what he has also done in your life. Uh, we have offering boxes next to all the door we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. We do not pass a plate. It is always a response to what he has done. Giving is also part of our witness. Like God has been gracious and good and he has given to me and I will give as well. And I'd encourage you to grab those sermon notes. You know, we have one thing, you know, each day this week and read through that and, and pray through that and read the psalm and keep coming back to these ideas of what God has done in your life. So when you speak about him, you speak about the witness of what he has done because that directly comes out of our worship and our service to him. God is good. God is good, and we need to be a people who speak of that goodness. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would take us as a people to begin to understand what it means to speak of the goodness of who you are. God, it's so easy, especially in our current cultural climate, to get our eyes so off focus of who you are and to all the things that are going on around us. It is so easy to see people around us as our enemies, and yet you call us to see those around us as those you're calling us to minister to, to witness to, to speak of your great grace to them because you have sent us in the world to be your hands and feet. You have sent us to be those who speak about who you are. And so God, I ask that you would have us begin to understand our own rescue, that you would have us be able to speak about that out loud that we'd be able to say of the great and sing of the great grace that we have known. And that our witness would be contagious. That those around us, when, when we are excited about what you've done, we could metaphorically or even maybe even say it, sing along with me, speak it with me. God is good. He has pulled me from the raging sea. He has brought me back to himself because of his own grace and his own mercy. Teach us to be a people who speak and live with our demeanor that great grace. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.